You're listening to the Cesarea Summer Series. I'm the host, Stefan Schilt, and in today's very special episode, we shine the spotlight on one of our own. My Cesarea co-host for seasons one and two, Veronica Sullivan, also known as Ronnie, or to me, Ron Ron. We sat on my couch one Friday night not too long ago to talk about her work as a programmer, writer and editor, her tips for travel and self-care, and her sad but ultimately important decision to step back from her co-hosting duties with Cesteria. I started off what was quite an emotional conversation by asking Ronnie what it felt like being on the other side of the mic. This is so weird. It's really weird, isn't it? I know, I know. This is so strange, sitting in my lounge room, cracked a tinny on a Friday night. After work drinks, me and the over girls. a mic. I'm Stefan Schill. This evening we're recording from my dirty couch that is covered in dog hair and I'm sitting on it with my esteemed guest, potentially former co-host, Ronnie Sullivan. Hi, Hi Steph. <laughs> Your couch is not dirty and it's also incredibly comfortable, I think is important to note. It is, it's like bed-sized. Yeah, we've like folded it out. We're up here with our legs crossed. It's pretty cozy. It's bloody awesome. Cracked a tinny on a Friday night, sitting around. Just out of work a bit early. Feels good. Living the dream. Now we've got microphones shoving your face. How are you feeling about being on the other side of the mic? It's pretty weird, to be honest. I was just saying before, I'm so much more comfortable being the person doing the grilling. And I've always enjoyed that. Like, it's like, I, it's about the other person and you just want to make them look good and make them feel good and feel comfortable. And so when it's when I'm the guest, I don't know what to do. Sucked in. Yeah. It's all about you. Got me. Yeah. So maybe we should have a chat quickly about why we are meeting like this today and having a conversation. So I guess I'll hand it over to you. Well, you know, we've done two amazing seasons of Sisteria and it's been Oh, I feel like I'm gonna cry already. It's, <laughs> it's gonna be very emotional. Be of, yeah, it's it's been a really special project to us both in that we began with this vision that we're really proud of and that we wanted to do something that platformed women and non-binary creatives and oh my god she's looking me directly in the (laughs) eyes guys I can't with tears in my eyes tears in your eyes as well I think we just we had an idea that we wanted to make something and we have made it and we're really proud of it and that's true for both of us but it's also been a process that has like brought us together so much more strongly as friends and that has had lots and lots of challenges behind the scenes and often technical challenges and all kinds of things. But it's also brought us into the orbit of so many amazing creative people and it's just been such a gift. So it's really hard to for me to look at all of that and feel all that way so strongly and to then say that I feel like my time with Hysteria is at a natural finishing point and that it's time for me to move on. Partly because I am so proud of what we've done and I, I love everything that it is and it feels like a good time to leave on a really high note. Um, Partly because she hates me. The truth is yeah, out. Yeah. Well, it's you brought us closer. Lines, yeah. It's brought us closer. I've got to know you better and I don't want to work with and you I'm anymore. <laughs> um, no, there's lots of yeah, lots of reasons for me personally, but it's yeah about kind of for me the, the balance of life stuff and that's something that we've spoken about a bit before well, many times really in terms of knowing when things are right for you and when it's time to step away. And I feel like leaving now on my own terms at a time when I am filled with love and joy for the project is a really nice way to leave, even though it's also an incredibly sad way to be leaving. Yeah, and I think that that is a really beautiful way to put it. And you won't be going anywhere. Like you're still going to be part of the Sisteria team. And I will say that we will very likely hear your voice again on these airwaves and into these hair dog hair covered microphones but 
essentially you are saying that you are going to step back as the co-host of Sisteria. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> and this isn't the first time that you're hearing this. Imagine if I was like, cool, we're here to record an episode. Um, by the way, Steph, I just wanted to drop this bomb on you. Fuck. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have. And I did have a big old cry after you did initially break the news to me because of all the reasons that you have said what we have done, I think, is amazing. Um, the people that we have met and have managed to promote and become engaged with and create this little Sisteria community has been so fulfilling and amazing. And I just want to say that we are hoping to get season three off the ground. It's just going to look a bit different and we will talk about that in a little bit. But for now, it's going to be all about Ronnie. We wanted to turn the spotlight and shine a spotlight on her work because as much as we do that for all of the amazing guests we've had. Ronnie is also an amazing creative mind. She's also an incredibly hard arts worker who does a lot of things. So I thought it would be interesting that listeners got a chance to know a little bit more about Ronnie as she's leaving the door, <laughs> leaving leaving the room. Don't let us kick you on the way out. Yeah. We'll shine a spotlight instead. So Sisteria is kind of, a, for lack of a better term, it's a passion project that we do spend a lot of time working on. And Time is something that is very valuable and it is hard to juggle everything. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what else you do other than Sisteria? Yeah, well, it's interesting because if you'd asked me that question maybe 18 months ago, I would have had like half a dozen other projects or organisations that I was like working with or volunteering with or doing part-time things with or freelancing. And I've been stripping it back so much over the past 12 months. It's just been a real process of getting the balance right. So at the moment, I work full-time at the Wheeler Centre for Books, Writing, Ideas here in Melbourne, which is a public literary programming organisation and I program events with writers um, and work on some other really fun projects as part of that org. And that is an amazing job that I really love and an organisation that I really love and work that I feel very lucky to be able to do. And it's full-time. And it's full-time and, you know, it's um, events, so it's like evening work and weird, like peak times. Like, you know, the life cycle of a writers' festival is something that's so intense with that annual up and down trajectory. And at the Wheeler Centre, it's like this constant little, it's much less of an extreme, but it's just this constant little bumps of things are happening, things are happening throughout the year. Um, and I am the chair of the custodial committee of the Cat Musket Fellowship, which is a writing prize that is very dear to both of our hearts, yes. which is also for women and non-binary writers and editors. Oh, my God, there's going to be so much crying. <laughs> okay. And that is a huge privilege and honour to be part of a really, really beautiful fellowship that's run by the Wonderful Express Media. And so I also work on that. And then I do other bits and pieces. You know, Can you just, um, for people listening, if mm. they don't know who Cat was and what the Cat Musket Fellowship is. We're going to get very emotional talking about that, mm-hmm. about this. I can mm-hmm. just feel it and see it. Yeah, can you explain a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, so Cat was a friend of both of ours and she was a blazing force of nature, a young writer and editor of VoiceWorks um, who gave so much love and labour and nurtured so many um, young writers and editors. And the fellowship, after she passed away a few years ago, the fellowship was established by Express Media, which runs VoiceWorks, the magazine she edited, and by her family, the wonderful Musket family. So generous. Um, And thanks to the support of the community of people who knew and loved Kat and also people who didn't, but who just saw what she did in the world and wanted to support the continuation of that legacy, the Cat Musket Fellowship was set up to kind of try and provide 
more opportunities like the ones that Kat gave to people and it's specifically for women and non-binary creatives under 30 and it is explicitly feminist and explicitly um, radical and filled with all of the ideals that Kat really strongly believed in and so that's feminism defiance and empathy exactly exactly yeah the trifecta we should also give a plug there is a collection of Kat's work out there that I'd highly recommend people go out and get if they're not familiar with her writing it's incredible she will remain incredible and an incredible force in our lives just in memory but also through this fellowship who is the most recent recipient of the fellowship can you talk a bit about that yeah so it's Liana Skripazak I'm going to I'm going to go with that. But Liana is an amazing young writer. She writes speculative fiction. She has just been chugging along forever and ever. Her day job is as a, an educator. She works in after school care with young people, but she's really young herself and she is writing this incredible fantasy novel called The Law of Jeju, which is set on a Korean island and has all these amazing kind of mythical female creatures and it's historical and it's badass and Liana was adopted her family background her biological background is from Korea so she's kind of exploring her own heritage and her own history through looking at these really wild and amazing fantastic story and so she's using the fellowship to go over and do some research in Korea but I would just also give a shout out to the other fellows that have come through the fellowship as well because they're all kicking so many goals. Brie was the inaugural fellow and her book Eggshell Skull came out last year. Fury, who is an amazing poet, graphic novelist, playwright, just everything, like there's nothing that they can't do. And Anna Maria Gomides, who's also an incredible essayist and a powerful voice. And it's just, it's so exciting to see the kind of growing cohort of young writers who are having the fellowship enable them to keep doing the work that they're doing and to grow and develop their skills. So you were recently appointed as the chair of that fellowship. What did that mean to you? Because you were part of the committee, Mm. but Jess Alice, a former Sisteria guest who's off kicking goals in Adelaide. I don't even know where to start with Jess, but that's a whole other episode. (laughs) Revisiting Jess Alice. How did it feel taking that mantle? Mm. Yeah, I mean, Jess is such a powerhouse and she did so much to get the fellowship into the shape that it is. Like she really kind of guided it and steered it in such a beautiful way. And this is like a hard thing to talk about, but I think it's really important is that when somebody dies, there can be really delicate feelings around who has the right to grieve and in what way. And that like I've experienced that with several people that I know who've passed away and that it's a really ugly but very human feeling to have. And so for myself, I knew and loved Kat, but there were people who knew and loved her far more deeply or for far longer than I did. So I felt such a, it was such an honour for me to even be on the committee. And I think partly it was because I'd been working in feminist events and I'd been working at the Stella Prize. So I'd been working at a feminist writers prize, women's writers prize. So it was a natural kind of, there were skills that I could bring to being on the committee. But I felt that Jess she brings this incredible knowledge and history with Kat that like that she's really able to identify Kat would have loved this this is you know and that is a really meaningful thing like this is what makes it such a unique fellowship and of course um Kat's mum and sister Ros and Maddie bring that in spades so for Jess to be stepping down which she did because she moved to Adelaide to become the new director of Writers SA I kind of felt like well I I don't have all those things in the way that Jess does but I do have my love for Kat 
my love for the fellowship and what it does and the desire to continue that work. So it was like both a challenge and something that was like a no-brainer because it's such an honour. I completely understand to do with Kat as well. Very similarly, loved her. Other people loved her a lot longer, knew her. Other people knew her better. I read at her memorial at the Wheeler Centre in front of, it was like hundreds of people on behalf of the lifted brow. I remember feeling kind of like imposter syndrome. Like I was like, there are people who know her better. But I also know that the publisher of the brow, Sam Cooney, was not in a place to be able to read so I stood up on behalf of the team Mm. at the time and 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 did that and I remember not knowing how to agree I don't know that our community has ever gotten over that loss either and I don't think we ever will and I don't think we ever can or should Mm. but I think there is a lot around grief particularly to do with cat that has to do with ownership and Mm -hmm. and certain people feeling like they don't have the power Mm. Mm. to hold on to that. I know thinking about her both brings me intense joy and pride to have been able to be in her orbit and read her words and commission her as part of magazines or have her talk at my Buffy event that Estelle Chang and I did years ago. But it is a tricky, tricky thing. How do you navigate juggling that emotional side of things with the professional side of you are judging a prize you are getting a whole bunch of people's work that you are assessing like Mm. how do you balance the professional with the emotional well you just can't take the emotion out of it like it has to coexist it has to be present because if a prize is named after somebody that's a pretty strong alignment with them you know it doesn't exist without cat it's got to be and it doesn't mean that everyone who's involved needs to have known her but her values are such a core integral guiding part of it and you know it's it's not giving away any secret to say that often when it comes to judging time a core question alongside the the judging criteria an unspoken criteria is always would cat like it and that's something that we often all like will say or look at each other and think and like be like well I just think cat would really like this and that's kind of takes primacy over everything else Sometimes when you you, know, you get kind of deadlocked and you get it's too hard to see what you're doing, you just think, what would Kat think? And that's, it's yeah, it's really unique and it's really special and Express Media do such an amazing job administering it because it is, there's a lot of emotion, but it's also a really well-run, well-ordered, carefully honed fellowship that is systematic and needs to be run tightly to ensure that it can give the most it can possibly give to the writers who receive it. That must also be taxing on you. And I know like Kat wouldn't mind me pivoting away to refocus on you and the concept of self-care when you are dealing with something that does bring up grief Mm. constantly for you and loss constantly for you. How do you manage that for yourself, within yourself? I think now with the benefit of a few years, love is far more present for me than grief, you know? So I just feel far more like the things that I think about are like the amazing memories of Kat and like the power that she brought to the world and the things that she did and those are the things that really drive me through it and that's not to say that that there aren't really sad moments of course there are because again it's with Kat's beautiful family and the whole you know we all wish that the fellowship didn't have to exist in an ideal world but 
it does. And so that just motivates everybody who's part of it to make it the best it can be. I think you're doing an amazing job. Thank um, you, darling. With everything you do, like I feel completely lucky to have known and worked with you in several ways. I think we've discussed before that we knew each other through you were an editor the online editor of kill your darlings and you used to edit my tv column so generously well you're an amazing writer so that was that's all i wanted thanks for listening to (laughs) no no no, not at all and i also like i thought you were so cool i can't i like me of that era would have been like we become friends we make a podcast together like i now i'm like shifting back into that mental space and i'm like kind of intimidated by you again bless again you are sitting on my disgustingly stained couch that's covered in dog hair but also that's very sweet no I think that you have helped Sisteria beyond anything else just exist right like I don't think it would be where it is and where we're at and hopefully where we're going without you like you have 100% like physically at times held my hand but metaphorically as well through this whole process and it has been hard there's been a lot of behind the scenes things that maybe listeners don't know about which sounds dramatic for a podcast but it is as I said before a labor of love and we put a lot of work into it so I have to like 100% thank you for being here and being the other voice asking the questions you like and I think that what has helped me working with you is that we both know when to let a guest sit in silence and to let them go. But we also know with just an eye contact that it's like, this is your time to talk. Mm. You ask a question now. And we had this weird complimentary kismet thing going on. Did you feel that as well? Totally. And I think we got better and better at that. I think it's in the second season, particularly, I feel like we were like tapped into each other's wavelength a lot of the time. But still, before every episode, I would always, I always feel like, what are we doing? Because we're pretty fly by the city of your pets, TVH, in case anyone had to figure that out yet. 100%. Not to say we don't like research guests yeah, yeah, and yeah. we we're, don't do any we of that all, stuff. We're planned and we're organized, but then we're also like, well, we want it to be, we want it to feel authentic and to feel kind of spontaneous. And that energy is like, it really propels us, but it's also kind of terrifying. So often, like before I said, I'm like, oh my God, what if it just is stilted or just like doesn't flow or we, I can't think of anything I want to ask? And, um, then as soon as like we start recording and also this is like testament to that how generous and incredible all the guests that we've had are and how fascinating 100%. they are we're just like we want to ask them so many things because they're so interesting and we have so many questions but yeah also it's letting them have the space and kind of what I mentioned before is that I love that the job of interviewing is to like raising that person up and giving them the opportunity to say whatever they want to say and kind of you're like both audience member and host because you're like if, well, if I was in the audience what would I want to hear and you're just the lucky one who gets to like ask every question to get them to talk, keep talking I completely agree that's how I feel as well I also get very anxious beforehand and my partner Toby who we've locked out in the other room with the dogs he always says to me beforehand when I'm like I'm really anxious like I don't know I'm going to ruin this whole hysteria thing and I get in my head and I get all stressed and he's like when you come back from that recording you are on the biggest high that I ever see you on you are so like that was the best we had this great conversation Ronnie and I just flowed and it's completely true like I don't know a high that I get from any other project like that because it is and I know that this episode might sound a bit kind of self-indulgent to some but that's not what we're trying to do I think we're trying to give you a bit of a behind the scenes look at what we do and how Sisteria has come about because it is nerve wracking and it is anxiety inducing and they have things have gone wrong. As you mentioned, we have lost episodes and we have let guests down and there has been a lot of 
there have been a lot of tears as mm. well as the ups. Mm. But I think at the end of the day, when we can share somebody's work and I can get a text message from someone being like, how great's Aretha Brown? I didn't even know of her and she's just amazing. And now I follow her on Instagram and I can't wait to buy her art when she's finished at VC8. But I think she's selling now, so hit her up. Get it now because it's going to get, yeah, gonna no, get, it's gonna get more, more and more real expensive. That's just mm. the most gratifying mm. thing, right? Like creating yeah. this community. Even meeting people. I went to Audio Craft recently and we're going to have a, a live Audio Craft episode either side of this one. And just meeting all of these amazing people who are working in the audio industry and people coming up to me and being like, oh, I love Sisteria. I feel like it's for me. Mm-hmm. That is the biggest compliment and the greatest joy. So I just genuinely from the bottom of my heart want to thank you so much for coming along this ride and helping make it what it is thank you (laughs) (laughs) I just I think that it's really interesting that we're both talking about how anxious we get before an episode because I always feel so safe with you and I always have such complete confidence in your capability and I have never like I know that you're anxious like we talk about it but I never see it or feel it in the room like your energy is always there and that's like such an amazing thing because in a way it's like well do you need two people to interview one person you could just have one person interviewing one person but the ability to have each other in that experience is such a gift for both of us and I completely agree that yeah like the I think we've said this but like every time anyone tells us they listen to Sisteria we're like ah there are actual people (laughs) listening and that's how we felt when we had the live show and there was a room full of people and we were like on the night, kind of like 45 minutes before the show, we were like, is anyone going to come? We're like, okay, we've got your boyfriend. We've got Jess's boyfriend. <laughs> like, right, we've got some some of the bar staff might have to come in here and like clean up some drinks. We'll have like three people in the room. And it, yeah, like just the kindness, the willingness of our listeners to get behind these amazing, amazing guests is so beautiful and just shows you like the Australian arts community, the Australian feminist community. They're fucking sick. <laughs> And they want to hear from these people. And I think the other thing that we should commend our guests on being so generous with saying yes. Like I've been hopefully programming season three. Stay tuned for more. But part of the hopefulness of that is that we're trying to get funding because we don't want any of our guests to come in and give their time without giving them money for their time. So often women and non-binary people, particularly in creative industries, are exploited for their labor and they give so much free labor and that's not something that we wanted to do we wanted to be able to give them money for their time because they are helping us create content for Sisteria but also use that time to make them feel special and to make them know that the work that they're creating has an audience out there that might know them and might want to hear from them more or Mm. don't know them yet and don't even know that they want to hear from them Mm. but they do want to listen like and I think that that if you build it Exactly. If you record it, they will listen. (laughs) (laughs) Please listen. And I feel like at the end of season one, we were like, well, we definitely want to do season two. There's no question about that. But it was always, but we won't do it unless we get funding. Like for us, it needs to be maybe not sustainable independently, maybe not like a product that makes money, but it needs to be something that we can remunerate people who are involved because it, it can be a labor of love. But we also, if you do things for free forever, you burn out as we both know. And I think, yeah, that fundamental, like, valuing the time of our guests, particularly those who had to come in and record twice because we lost the episode. Like, people have been so fucking generous with us and it's incredible. And I think that actually that's something that behind the scenes podcasting we can talk to. I didn't actually read the New York Times piece about podcasting, but I know there was kind of an uproar about how a lot of people think that podcasting is 
just a few people mm. sitting on a couch with a microphone and that's it. Our producer Jess is going to go away and make this sound schmick. All the burps that we've been doing, you ain't going to hear. You ain't going to hear. She's fiddling with a mixer as we speak. There was labor beforehand in terms of like thinking about how we were going to discuss things and what we were going to discuss. There was research done. There's programming. There's uploading. There's social media. There's just so much work involved that I think it's a craft in itself. Yeah, and I think it's not all free mattresses. (laughs) No, no, exactly. But if you did want to sponsor us any mattress company, feel free. It's zero free mattresses for us so far. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that people forget that. You can get a USB mic and sit in front of your computer and talk for two hours and upload it and be like, cool, people want to hear from me, a cis-head white man talking endlessly. And that has worked very well for some Mm. people, but that is not the industry. And I think this particular article, and we'll link to it, had people up in arms who do spend literal hours like us but even like when they're kind of creating 15 minute stories and I think Jess could probably speak to this a bit better 15 minute stories that take a lot of investigation and a lot of tape and a lot of interviewing and then pre-interviewing and pre-recording and sound effects and mixing and then final edits and there's just so much that goes into it that it is a lot more than people think. It's almost like the easier it is to listen to, the more work has gone into it. Right, which actually is a perfect segue into writing because I feel like, I don't know about you, but as someone who's worked as an editor but also tries to write as a writer. Are you talking about me? Because that sounds like me. Both of, like, <laughs> both, well, both of like That's how both I would, them, I that, was, that would be how I would define myself. Mm, like mm, it takes mm. me so long. I actually wanted to bring up your synthetic heat reading with mm-hmm. you eventually, but I we're at the synthetic heat reading night, which is run by writers Eleanor Savage and Eloise Grills, and I was in a lift with Eleanor Savage, and she introduced me to somebody, and they were like, "Are you a writer?" And before she even gave me chance to be like, "Oh, I don't know, am I?" A-? Eleanor was just like, "Yes," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh God, I should be, I should be doing that, and I should be learning mm-hmm. from our mm-hmm. guests." I always remember Jess Knight being like oh someone referred to me as a comedian recently and I'm like I am a comedian so now I'm going to introduce myself as a comedian and that's as come well. up with so many of our guests has it especially when you're talking about their journey through their practice or to be what, whatever they are they, now there's often that thing where they're like there was a tipping point and I don't know when it was and it's usually like when they're making a full-time living from that they're like oh okay I guess now I'm a professional ex it's like yeah you, that permission to call yourself what you are because if you're doing the thing then you're the person who does the thing which makes you the doer, the writer, the whatever, yeah. Exactly, and I think the best writing that you read reads effortless and like somebody Mm. just kind of woke up one day, had a shower and a cup of tea and sat down while the birds dressed them and they just quickly tapped their fingers like lightly on the keyboard and out I couldn't help but wonder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, light your Marlboro light. Uh, The dream. (laughs) I didn't even say that right. How do you say the shoes that she wears? The fancy Manolo Blahnik? Yeah, 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 yeah. And like maybe like some lingerie. Yeah, in an apartment Heels that and no one could ever <laughs> yeah. afford. And be like, I'm a writer. Yeah. Um, it's a rent-controlled apartment. <laughs> <laughs> there are no plot holes in Sex in the City. Thank you very much. <laughs> I did want to ask you a little bit about writing because I know you did do this reading at Synthetic Heat where you did touch on stuff that you talked about in our New Year's resolution episode Mm. of Sisteria. We don't have to talk about exactly what your reading was on record because I think what was so great about that reading series from Eleanor and Eloise is that it is a safe space and nothing is recorded. So you can be very, very vulnerable and very open and you don't necessarily have to publish it or put anything on record. But how was the experience of writing 
for that for you because I know we have talked off mic a little bit about how you are working full-time for the Wheeler Centre. You are promoting other people's careers through Sisteria and the fellowship, but you have stepped a little bit away from writing yourself. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think that that was probably, that was one of the first pieces that I've written since I finished my master's degree in creative writing two and a half years ago. So I've had this, I was like, you know, finished my thesis and was quite seriously thinking that I never wanted to write anything again. Theses have that that effect effect on people, yeah. And that's been fine with me. Like I've actually just been enjoying reading more and using that as a way to stretch my brain and I kind of – there's lots of other things. And, you know, Sisteria for me has always been very creative pursuit. And so I haven't really like – I don't think that I've missed writing as much as many people would if they had taken such a big break. But when I was invited to read at Synthetic Heat, I'm such a fan of the series and I have such respect and admiration for the curation of that series and for what it represents as a live non-fiction reading night that is really its own space. I was like – I kind of said yes before I could think about it too much because I was like, it's a while away, I'll sit on it for a bit and then – you know, I, and I thought I'll probably I'll freak out when it gets a bit closer. Everything is always a while away, and yeah. then suddenly Until it's, it's not. not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the piece that I ended up writing, we did refer to our New Year's Eve episode earlier this year, where I spoke on the pod about that my New Year's resolution was to get therapy, go to therapy. How's that going for you, Ronnie? Well, this was the thing is that I haven't done it right, and so after we did that podcast, uh, after we released the episode, so many people contacted me and said like it was so beautiful and refreshing to hear you talk about your mental health and to talk about therapy openly and positively, and you know it's inspired me to go get therapy and like all these lovely things. And I'm now, yeah, sitting here more than halfway through the year and haven't done it. And so for me, that's like, I'm such a hypocrite. I mean, I fully intended to do it, but it's just really, it's really interesting to think about what it means when you put something out there in the world. And it's like, you know, kind of a personal thing that you're saying, I'm going to do this for myself, but I'm just telling everyone that I'm going to do it, whether that's to, you know, help you hold yourself to it or not. So anyway, the the piece that I wrote was kind of, an attempt at saying, well, I'm going to do my first therapy session right now with everybody in this room. It's a group therapy session and you're all part of it, whether you like that or not. It was so incredible. You were so vulnerable, but it was funny and moving and just so great. How did it feel writing it? How was the process of writing it? How did you write it? Well, it was so. It was a list of things that I'm ashamed of, basically, um, from throughout my life. And yeah, some of it was like funny, silly things. And some of it was like, for me, you know, some of the heavier, darker things in my life. I, this is so cliche, I wrote it when I was drunk. I wrote it on the notes app on my phone. I just, I was like pretty pissed and I had just come home from dinner with my family and I just like got my phone out and was just like, sometimes you're just like, oh, I can, I'm really in touch with all the things that I'm ashamed of right now. After a family dinner? Uh, After alcohol? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, surprise, surprise, right? And I just like burnt through this massive list and I was like I'm just gonna go to sleep now and that might be the start of something that I want to do for synthetic heat right drunk edit sober yes yes thank you like Hemingway or whoever Uh, so I did that unfortunately and it was very personal and it was I wanted it to be funny and have light moments but I also I think maybe part of it was like feeling inadequate in being part of that series and being like, I don't know what to write about. I guess I'll just be like really raw and personal and people will be like 
affected by that regardless of whether it's well written or not and I hadn't even thought about the fact that I was gonna be saying some like shit that is so that hardly anyone knows or that I wouldn't want many people to know I hadn't thought about that that I would be saying that to a room full of people until I was doing it and then afterwards my friend said to me oh that was that was so great are you gonna publish that and I was like hell no (laughs) that piece exists that one night in that room for that bunch of strangers and acquaintances and friends and that's the only place it will ever exist but I think that that's kind of cool like not every piece works in all formats and it was a different thing for me to do. And Steph, like, I'd like to talk about your synthetic heat piece as well because you did a reading for that same series last year and you also did something that I think could only have worked in that room. Like, it was very much for that space, for that purpose. So you you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, because we're laying on my couch. I've, like, physically contorted my body in response to her um, bringing that up, to Ronnie bringing that up. Yeah, no, I mean, I have thought about publishing mine. So I did, like, a meta podcast, which sounds naff, but was actually really fun to do. So I – it was called My Disappearance, and it was about my recent disappearance from kind of the literary scene due to some – personal and professional circumstances and my experience of that and so I did I read from a piece of paper and I pre-recorded if that experience was a podcast Mm. so I think I do flirt with the idea of making it a published piece for me mine is less about whether it was the safety of the room that I read it in although that was the only space Eleanor's encouragement of my writing and my career was the only way that I was going to get out of being disappeared. Um, I'm going to get emotional talking about this. Um, So that was like the first thing that I had done in a long time as well. Mm -hmm. So I have to thank Eleanor Savage, who I know listens for everything all the time, but especially for that. Um, But for me, I, it's not about my vulnerability with necessarily putting myself out there it's the repercussions of what I was saying and Mm. the response that maybe particular individuals might have to what I'm saying Mm. which sounds very opaque and strange but I I think that yeah I really don't want to say too much more on that but the experience was very empowering and that space is so incredible and I like to think that what we offer in Caesarea is similar to people obviously less on a kind of them doing a reading and more about them being open and vulnerable about themselves which I think both of our pieces were so did that inspire you to start writing again did you feel the passion reignited within Ew, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I just, my muse came to me and I just couldn't help myself. Um, uh, I loved that experience. I have been writing a bit, but I'm not thinking about it in the way that I used to think about. I'm not thinking about freelancing. I'm not thinking about pitching. I'm not thinking about publication. Just using it as an outlet. And I recently went away and had a bunch of time on my own and that is, you know, a dream and a great privilege to be on holiday solo in paradise. And that was a space where I was like writing on like, you know, just kind of getting a chance to write again was a really um, magical experience. Look, I don't think you have to be at all embarrassed or ashamed that you didn't 
go to therapy yet. Everyone fails at their New Year's resolutions. Mm. Like, I don't even remember. Was mine like being kind to myself or something? Because sure as shit that hasn't happened. (laughs) Um, Secondly, without sounding too cliched enough again, writing can be therapeutic for some people. And I think what happens a lot that we people do touch on a little bit but don't really break down very often is how much those again without sounding wanky but the capitalist impulse on our creative life changes the way that we access it and the way and what it means to us so not writing for pictures not pitching not creating this like cycle of churn and thinking of writing as a creating endeavor is a completely different exercise and it is something that's really hard to get back to and back around to yeah and working full-time like I just don't think I have the space to have deadlines that are the deadlines you know I'm just oh like my God. that's not where I'm at right now my mind is always blown when people are like oh yeah I've got a family and I work full-time but I get up at 5 a.m and I write my book in the morning and here's my manuscript what the, that's like, just incredible like I can't even no neither can that. I like I get up at 5am and walk my dogs and then go to my job and I work it three days a week and I'm still like... Seth, that's amazing. I get up at 9am and I go to work. <laughs> Sorry, everybody who starts work at 9am. <laughs> Thank you, Willis Centre, for your amazing flexible hour policies. But again, you do... But you work very long hours at yeah. that job and you work into the evening and you work weekends sometime. Like, there's a lot of yeah, yeah, yeah. back and forth. I work really hard, okay? It's fine, but I do get to sleep in. <laughs> you genuinely do and I think that that is part of why... the the decision for you to step back from Sisteria, I had to get over the personal element of that, of like mm. feeling like it was a loss and like I was losing something to being like, oh no, Ronnie's putting herself first and I'm 100% behind that because you're recognizing now what you can manage and what you can't and maybe this right now. Because you said something beautiful, like I feel like it's not just about what I need to do for me, but Sisteria is not going to get the best of you either because there won't be enough of you kind of to go around and I was like oh that's such a like you didn't even have to even consider that but of course you did because you're beautiful it's really true and like there's a selfish part of me that doesn't want to leave because it's fun and I love you and I love Jess and I love working with you and I love the buzz of the actual recording but like weighing everything up that shouldn't be on its own the top priority like the priority is my well-being overall and the quality of the podcast um and I think that those two things lead to me departing I'm I am really glad that you are starting to prioritize those things though in your life it's very important because I know recently you were pretty tapped out and I'm so proud of you for going on this trip recently and I know that you said it was a privilege and that you you did like regroup and get to write and read and, and spend a lot of time but I also know that giving yourself permission to do that is really really difficult especially when you are someone who takes on a million projects and does have a lot of your identity tied up with your career how was your trip it was amazing you look so good thanks for asking yeah I'm still kind of tanned so this is not great audio but just imagine me being really really tanned really happy um long shiny hair yeah long shiny hair eyebrows. because as my colleague told me your hair grows the most while you sleep and I slept a lot um on yachts mind you on a yacht yeah it was it was a a bloody awesome trip I went to Europe and had a bunch of time on my own on a little beach in Greece and a bunch of time with friends 
drinking amazing Croatian liquor on a yacht on some islands and smoking lots of European seas and eating lots of delicious food. But it wasn't until I got there that I realized how much I needed it. It's like the longer, you know, when you come back from a holiday and straight away, you're like, I want to plan my next holiday. I want to plan my next holiday. I think the longer you have between breaks, you can like forget how revitalizing it is and how there's a reason that we are supposed to take those days. Um, And it's because you are a better version of yourself when you have that balance. So yeah, it was great. I loved it. Absolute reset. Yeah, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, and also, like leaving Melbourne winter, it gets pretty grim. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's shut okay. now. Yeah, um, can I did want to ask an arrogant question on behalf of our producer, actually, who is about to travel as well and have a hard reset. I can't really speak to this. I've only really because I get very anxious when I travel, so I've only really ever travelled with friends mm. or my partner. But you'd spent quite a bit of time on your own as well. Do you have any advice for people who are traveling on their own, especially as a woman? I think that it's, it's a very different experience. Can you talk about your experience and what any tips, even just books, Mm. if you have any book suggestions for people on holiday, that would be great. So what was your experience traveling alone and how do you overcome that kind of fear and anxiety around it? What was your experience like? I did a lot of travel solo when I was in my early twenties and I now look back at the way I traveled then and I'm like, kind of horrified by how cavalier I was about like safety and but also amazed particularly then how free I was and how many friendships I developed and how you just meet people and go with the flow and do whatever this time around as an almost 30 year old I was much more about myself and being with myself so I wasn't really as interested in meeting people during the solo part of my trip because I was like, I actually just want to have the quality time with me. Well, you do that all the time at your job. A lot of your job is like managing people, right? It's programming people, it's being on. I love meeting people. Like I love socializing and meeting new people, but yeah, just kind of being like really intentional about this is my space and this is my time and like let it be whatever you want it to be. Like there's no... You're not obligated to do anything particular. That's why it's your holiday. You can literally do whatever you want. I mean, I love solo dining with a book. So my top tip for like a great night out when you're on your own and you're traveling is like go out to dinner early-ish so that there's still enough light, read your book, drink a bit of wine, flirt with a cute waiter, and then just like go home and, and go to bed. And that just like is so much fun. <laughs> it's I really changed my um travel style from when I was in my twenties, early twenties, because that's not would not have sounded like a good time to me. But now I'm just like, that's the dream. That's actually the dream. How beneficial do you think it was for you to have that time on your own? It was amazing. Yeah. It was like it was a week and it was in one place. I wasn't even moving around. So it that's long enough to just feel like you've been there forever. And you're kind of like in your own zone. And because I wasn't moving around, I was really focused on what I, where I was and what I, like what I was doing rather than being like, got to get to this place, got to get on this train, got to like blah, 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 got to go and see this thing. It was just like a kind of limbo land that felt really untethered from reality and from temporality. 
and it was really cool. You rested. I rested. It's such a foreign concept. So now you're back and you say that when you come back, you want to book your next trip. Are you booking your next trip? Yes, but it's so bougie. I don't even want to tell you what it is. Oh, I have more advice though. Okay. And one very important piece of advice for anyone traveling solo or otherwise is to um, plan some themed readings for wherever you're visiting. So find a book by or by an author who, from the place you're visiting or set there and then you can kind of like enjoy the vibes. You like really immerse yourself. So do you read that before you go? or I like to read it there or before, whatever. I mean, I went to Greece, so I watched Mamma Mia. That was kind of on the same track, right? <laughs> what did you read on your holiday? What was your number one or two picks? I read The Cost of Living by Deborah Levy, which is the follow-up to her essay, um, Things I Don't Want to Know. And these two essays are just the most incredible contemplations of being a woman alone. Like, actually, these are so on theme to being a solo woman traveller or just being a solo woman or being a woman in the world. Like, Deborah Levy's a genius and the way that she writes about existing is so free of the gaze of anyone but herself and she's turning her own gaze so sharply on herself. Like, those essays, I can't – and they're, they're so readable as well and they're so funny but they're also just, like, got have all this philosophy woven through and, oh, Deborah Levy. Shout-out. Sisteria shout-out yeah, from Ronnie. Shout out. Deborah Levy. I did want to give a couple of shout-outs as well before we wrap up this kind of mid-season episode. I want to just, just have a think about the people that we've spoken to during this process. Now, this is just a sample of what some of our guests have been doing since their episodes were released. So Alicia sometimes has recently done a TED Talk. House of Dizzy's earrings were worn by the likes of Lauren Hill. Hey Auntie Season 2 kicked off. Evelyn Ida Morris has been playing music around LA. Candy Bowers show for kids won the bear, was showed at the Melbourne Arts Centre. Leah Jing has been kicking activist ass by standing up to appropriation at the Melbourne Fringe Fuck Festival. Yes. In better fringe news, Jess Knight's one-woman show Mormon Girl is going to play there and we're all going to go see it. Yes. Ronnie saw Michelle Law's single Asian female when it played in Melbourne. I sadly literally had a panic attack on Burke Street in Melbourne, so I couldn't go. Michelle knows. Love and prayers, sorry. Um, we said Jess Alice is still kicking goals all over Adelaide. Amy Gray is writing essays. She recently wrote one for the Ethics Centre on the Power of Naked Selfies. And Hannah Kent is writing a film with production support from Screen Australia. That's just a sample. That's not even everyone we've spoken to. That's just like a this is their life moment for you to reflect back on all the people that I don't want to say that to. they're kicking those goals because they came on to <laughs> <laughs> No, they are like what a phenomenal bunch of people. And that's How not even everyone, right? Even everyone. Like, I I and I just want to thank you so much for joining me. I want to give you the greatest shout out of all because this has been the most amazing thing. And I genuinely mean it when I say this wouldn't exist if it wasn't for you having helped it get to where it is. So I'm going to miss you greatly. But as we said, you'll still be part of the team. You're not completely going away. You have to follow Ronnie's career because she's not going away. Hopefully she'll publish some writing when she feels ready to keep watching the Cat Musket Fellowship. We'll have links to all the things that we discussed in the episode in our show notes. And I just want to say that I love you so, so much. And thank you so, so much for being part of this. And yeah, I love you. I love you (laughs) so much. And this, you know, Sisteria is one of the things that I am proudest of in my life. And your friendship is so intrinsically bound up in that joy and pride for me. 
Thank you. Thank and you listeners definitely. out there, we're hoping to get season three off the ground. If there is anything that you did want to hear, please feel free to hit us up on our website, send us an email. We're on all the socials at Sisteriapod, I think, on most of them, Sisteriapodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if there are any sponsors out there, mattresses, throw them our way. We'll take them. <laughs> Thanks so much again, Ronnie. It's been great having you on as a guest. Thanks, Becky. Sisteria, created by women and for anyone who wants to listen. Sisteria is produced by Stephanie Van Schilt and me, Jessica Lucchiano. For links to everything we've discussed, check out our website, sisteriapodcast.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter, at Sisteriapod. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, and if you love what we do, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes too. Our amazing theme music is by Rainbow Chan. Sisteria is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We pay our respects to their elders past and present, and to the elders of the lands this podcast reaches. We hope you tune in again soon. I just gonna-